You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. There's no question that God longs, God is passionate about seeing all of his followers, all of his followers united. This is a theme that, that runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. You know, David, in the Old Testament, one of the, in one of his Psalms, he describes how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. In Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, he says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. I'm not going to unpack that. For there the Lord has com- commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I'm not going to unpack that today. If you want to hear what all of that means, you can listen to one of our sermons on our podcast, um, which goes into more detail. But safe to say, it's a pretty good thing. God loves it when his brothers uh, and sisters are united. And the Apostle John in the New Testament, he records Jesus' powerful prayer for the unity of all believers in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. And this was offered just before Jesus ascended to heaven. Here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Scripture's really clear. Unity between followers of Jesus is so important for many reasons. And whilst unity in God's family is so important, actually, I'll go there, it's essential. Unity in God's family is essential for us to glorify God for us to actually live out and share the gospel with other people. Whilst it is essential, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. Maintaining unity is not something that's always easy to maintain. Because after all, whether we're listening to this as people who would call ourselves Christian, or maybe we're seekers seeking spiritual truth today. I'm sure you'd all agree when I say this. It's really difficult to maintain unity in a polarized world. What do I mean when I say a polarized world? Well, I'm talking about how our world, increasingly so, is a divided one, divided in so many ways. You know, people have always held to very different views, and beliefs around different matters. But today, we're living in an age where people are increasingly less tolerant, less respectful 
or even less patient towards people who hold different points of view to them. Now, if you stop and actually think about this for a moment, it's, it's actually pretty ironic because we live in a postmodern society that markets itself as being inclusive and tolerant and valuing individual freedom and expression where truth is relative. In other words, if that's your truth, that's good for you. Wonderful. So happy for you. You know, there's no absolute truth. That's the kind of society in which we live. And yet, what we're increasingly seeing today is that there isn't a whole lot of grace and patience shown to anyone who holds to a different point of view than might be popular or might be the one that certain people in particular hold really strongly to. I mean, that's pretty ironic, isn't it? In a world that supposedly values this kind of expression of freedom and variety and all that sort of thing, when you actually analyse it, it doesn't at all. And not only do we see this polarisation causing people to be far less tolerant and patient with others who hold to different points of view to them, but we're also living in an age where really complex and really nuanced issues are often portrayed as being simple and binary in nature. What do I mean by that? Well, in other words, really complex things that aren't just simple to understand or work out or even come to a point of view on are often boiled down, so reduced so far that they're down to a simple binary choice. It's either A or either B, and anything else is ridiculous. And people almost are forced to choose which camp they align themselves with. Well, I'm, I'm either this or either that, and the complexity and the nuance is taken out of the issue. And sadly, I'm, I'm confident that you have probably either seen this on the news in different matters, or maybe you've even experienced this in terms of your relationships with other people. This polarisation has resulted in strong divisions coming between people, and sometimes even divisions coming between families. But not only that, not only has there been divisions sort of coming to the fore between people, but also vitriol, bitter criticism, even malice, being expressed towards anyone who holds a different point, anyone who sits on the opposing side. Now, the fact that this polarisation has taken root in the wider world is not a good thing at all. I mean, that's pretty obvious. It breaks God's heart to see his world in the state that it is today. But for me, there's something that's even more concerning. And I know that this actually breaks God's heart even more. And it's this, that the polarization that we're seeing in the wider world has actually taken root within the church, within God's worldwide church. And it's causing division and malice to exist between people who are called by God to be united and to be people of love towards one another. 
So you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Captain Obvious, well done. That's, that's, uh, we know that. We only have to look at how the world's going and, and it's no good. But what can we do about it? I mean, seriously, like, what hope is there? Is there any hope for us? Or do we just have to hold on and ride the wave out until Jesus returns and we're taken to glory? Like, is that what we're kind of waiting for? Well, I want to suggest today that we, are, we have reason to still be people who have hope. We have hope still, even with the world the way it is today. And why do we have hope? We have hope because these kind of things have occurred within the church before. And God's word actually gives us key insights, key ways in which we can treat and honour one another. We can get encouraged to treat and honour one another, regardless of the differing viewpoints we hold on issues that are not central tenets of our faith. You know, in the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to a church which, if you were going to sum up this church, you could just about use the word divided. They were the epitome of a divided church. They were divided in terms of which earthly leader they should follow, Paul or Apollos, see 1 Corinthians 3, how they were to treat believers who were sexually immoral, 1 Corinthians 5, how to settle disputes between one another, 1 Corinthians 6, what foods they should or shouldn't eat, 1 Corinthians 8, and how they should or shouldn't worship God, 1 Corinthians chapters 11 to 14. They were really, they weren't the Brady Bunch, they were the divided bunch. They were completely and utterly divided in so many ways. In fact, they were divided in so many ways that chances are I have missed a few of the ways in which they were divided. They were a divided church. And the Apostle Paul, he sees that and he strategically and intentionally addresses this division at multiple points throughout his letter. But I want to focus on one key passage that cuts right to the heart. It cuts right to the point about God's heart for his church. And that is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 12 to 27. So let's turn there and read that now. Paul writing, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, in context, Paul's talking here about spiritual gifts. You know, if you read chapters 11 through to um, 14, um, or particularly 13, you'll see there there's lots of talking around spiritual gifts and the use in particular of spiritual gifts in corporate worship. You know, they were divided over how they should be used. While this is the case, there are many lessons. There are many lessons that we can take away from this particular passage when it comes to dealing with division in the church more generally. So what I want to do today is I want to share three encouragements with all of us. Three encouragements. And hear this, friends. This message is an encouragement to all of us. We can all grow in this and we all need to grow in this because we want to honour Jesus, yeah? That's what it's all about. And so that's why I'm sharing these three encouragements or lessons so that we can consider Paul's teaching on a personal level and play our role as members of God's family. So here's the first this morning. We are all united. We are all one in Christ. You know, as I, I think I prayed it this morning, you know, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our social standing, regardless of whether we're, we're young or more mature in age, regardless of our gender, whatever, we are all united with one common thing. Not one common thing, one common person of Jesus Christ. And we're united because of our faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You know, this is so important. And, you know, this is, this is right here. I think it really needs to be remembered in times like we're in right now. We are all one. We are all one. We are all united through one common thing, our shared love for Jesus Christ. And I would say, really, because of this truth alone, if we let that really resonate in our hearts, if we let Holy Spirit kind of work that into our hearts, into our minds, and then out through our hands, I reckon we would be living in a pretty amazing worldwide church, wouldn't we? We would be a beautiful body, beautiful bride of Christ, reflective of God and his heart. You know, I think if we kind of went down that line, there really would be no division in the body, but all members would, as the passage says, have the same care for one another. If we take the time to remember and ask Holy Spirit to help us to regularly remember this truth and empower us to actually live out the reality of this truth, I think we will find ourselves naturally longing to joyfully love and care for one another despite our differences. 
So that's the first, and that's the underlying foundational truth in all of this. We are all united. We are all one in Christ. And here's the second. God's church is made up of many different members. You know, in our polarized age where these matters of conscience, really, it's not even like they're theological issues, but they're more matters of personal opinion where they're hotly debated, they're boiled down to, to really be simple uh, options that really lack nuance, this is a truth that's so easy for us to forget. And you see, this is a truth where, in a sense, Paul's metaphor of the body really helps us in, in caring for one another, in seeing how God longs for us to interact with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any lesser part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any lesser part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is... God arranged the members in his body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's the thing, friends. God desires that his body would be made up of many members and with very diverse and different backgrounds, different ideas, different expressions of love for him. That is God's ideal body of Christ in a worldwide and even in a local church context. He doesn't want us all to be hands. He doesn't want us all to be feet. He doesn't want us all to be eyes. He wants all of us from all different backgrounds and walks of life and people who hold different opinions to one another on various matters he wants us all to be united in him, to be united in him and united in our care, concern and love for one another. Now, I, I want us to really hear all of this this morning. I want, to, want us all to hear this. This is the third lesson and this is one that is really important for us to really grasp and hear afresh today. And it's this, unity in God's body doesn't mean uniformity in all things. Let me say that again. Unity in God's body doesn't mean uniformity in all things. Sometimes when I read passages of Scripture like this and I kind of think about what Paul, where Paul would be at at the time, I imagine that he might be in different tones. You know, sometimes he's really kind of airy-fairy and all loving and just light. And other times he's, he's exasperated and he's like, come on, guys. Like, when are we going to get this? Like, we've, there's so much more to be had when we're in unity together as one in Christ. Can we just get this? And I reckon that this is a little bit what Paul was like in verse 19 when he says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Where would the body be? I just imagine him being a little bit exasperated at that time. Because the reality is, the church wouldn't look like God's desired church and wouldn't be able to operate as the church if we were all gifted or created 
or saw every particular social issues in exactly the same way, would it? It just wouldn't work. As Roger Williams, a Puritan minister and theologian said many, many years ago, back in the 16th century, he said, we find not in the gospel that Christ hath anywhere provided for the uniformity of churches, but only for their unity. Friends, God's desire is, and it always has been, and it always will be, it always will be, that his church would be united as a diverse people. A diverse people from different backgrounds who respect, who value, and actually who celebrate the, all, the whole range of different people that are different to them. Let me be really clear this morning so you hear what I'm not saying as well in saying all of this. When it comes to Christianity, there are matters that are foundational spiritual truths. They are tenets of our faith. Just like we sang in that song this morning, the creed, there are foundational spiritual truths that really, in my mind and in our church's mind, they're not up for argument. They're, they're the foundational core beliefs that we hold to. Things like, for example, Jesus' divinity, for instance, or that faith comes about through, uh, it's a gift of um, faith and not through works so that no man may boast. Things like that. They're non-negotiables. They're clear, they're primary, important matters. They're not up for debate. And they're the sort of things that, that I know as a church we have for many years. We, we teach them, we defend them, we encourage everyone in them, and we will keep on doing that until Jesus returns. They're the primary truths and the, the foundations of our faith. However, however, there are many, many things that God's word doesn't definitively address, doesn't definitively address. And they're matters that we, with Holy Spirit's guidance, as we're asking, as James uh, urges us to, to, to ask for wisdom from above and it will be given to you, as we join with Holy Spirit and invite him to guide us in these sort of things, with his leading and with God's word as our guide, really clear, we need the Holy Spirit's leading, but not only the Holy Spirit's leading, we need God's word as our guide so we can filter everything that we hear to check and see if it's true. Yep, that aligns with scripture. All right, maybe this is God speaking to me. To make up our own minds about a whole range of issues. There are many, many things that God's word doesn't definitively address that we need to seek him through the spirit and through reading his word so that we can make up our own minds about and as Paul says in, in Romans 14, there are many issues that members of God's family, members of God's body, just simply shouldn't be passing judgment on one another about. It says that. You can check that out in your own time. Let me just share with you a few examples this morning. Here's one. The New Testament doesn't tell us what foods we should or shouldn't eat. We're free to eat vegetables and we're free to eat meat. We're free to eat pretty well whatever we want as long as it doesn't cause someone else to stumble. That's what we can see in Romans 14. 
we're free as members of God's body to make up choice. And here's the thing, friends. Other people are free to make that choice too. I'm not going to be one who's going to tell you what you should or shouldn't eat. I will, on occasion, encourage you in you know, what the Bible does talk to us about in terms of um, eating in moderation, not being gluttons, eating healthily, things like that. But I'll never tell you, you should eat this or you shouldn't eat that or anything like that. You are free as a member of God's family to make up your own mind, just as all brothers and sisters are free to do the same thing. Now, another example, the Bible doesn't expressly tell us who to vote for as an individual or what political party to vote for. Scripture clearly tells us, you see Romans 13 talks about submitting to governing authorities unless following them contradicts Jesus' commands. It tells us to pray for our leaders, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. And it also encourages us to follow godly leaders who advocate and promote outcomes that align with God's kingdom vision for the world. That's what we see in Scripture for our world and for society. But nowhere does Scripture tell us who to vote for. We are free as members of God's body to choose. And, and here's the thing, like at Liberty, we are so well represented on all sides of politics. 100%. We have people sitting on every single sort of um, incremental step, all the way from the left to the very right. Many of us have very different ideas when it comes to politics. Many of us have different ideas when it comes to what approaches or policies should be introduced by government in order to see a society flourish that is in line with God's ideals for our world. And you know what? That's okay. That is okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's actually a really good thing. Again, when it comes to politics, we are free as members of God's family to choose. I'll never ever tell you, I'll never stand up here and tell you who to vote for or what political party you should consider supporting. You are free as a member of God's family to choose and make the choice for yourself and vote as you feel led. And we all should respect others as well and give them the freedom to make those choices as well. And not look down on them because they may vote for someone who we don't think is a very godly choice. Yeah? Now, here's a really pressing example for the times that we're in today. You know, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us whether to get vaccinated or not. It doesn't. You can search for passages, you won't find any. We're free to choose to get vaccinated or we're free to choose not to get vaccinated. We are free as members of God's body to choose. I'm not going to tell you, you should go and get vaccinated. That's not what I'm going to do. I will not do that. That's something for you to, for, for you to talk with God about, to, to pray about, to ask God for wisdom, James 1.5, as I said earlier. And, and the obvious one, of course, is to go and chat with a medical professional about, chat with your GP 
And if you don't have a GP, call a GP and chat with them about it if it's an issue of concern for you. Personally, I've chosen to get vaccinated. I am vaccinated, but I respect and I will continue to. I always will respect you, anyone, you or anyone who chooses to wait or chooses not to receive the vaccine for medical or other reasons. I will keep on loving, I'll keep on encouraging, I'll keep on shepherding you with the role that God has called me to in this local church community, no matter what. No matter what. You are free as a member of God's body to choose to be vaccinated or not. And friends, we should extend the same freedom to our brothers and sisters on this matter, whether they align with our point of view or they don't. You know, so much damage really can occur and is occurring in the worldwide church. You only have to look out at um, what's happening in so many spheres all over the world in God's church as a result of Christians. Really, if we boiled it down, what it is, is that Christians are being unwilling to respect, be patient with, and ultimately love other believers who make different decisions or hold to different viewpoints than theirs. And as we've already seen, God's heart for his church is clear. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be united together in him. And he wants us, and here's the challenge for all of us, and hey, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here this morning as well. He wants us to celebrate and honour the different members who make up his body. If you look at 1 Corinthians, it's no coincidence that Paul goes from talking about the body, moves on from talking about unity in the body in 1 Corinthians 12 to then talking about love in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 in particular, encourages us in how we are to show love to one another. And I believe it's a verse that perfectly describes the kind of attitude, the kind of heart that God longs for us to have and longs to create in us in a deeper sense in times like these. Here's what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Friends, love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient and love is kind. And as Jesus says in John's gospel, in John 13, 35, people will know that we are his disciples because we tell them, no. Because we wear t-shirts that say, disciple of Jesus, no. People will know that we are his disciples only if we have love for one another. Wow. So friends, my encouragement to all of us today 
is this. Let's genuinely love one another. Let's love one another. Let's really love one another. Let's show the world the better way that the world needs in order to be the kind of place that God would intend for it to be. Let's show the world a better way where people can be united and can be patient and can be kind and can be loving toward one another while all the while holding to even opposing views. Let's be that kind of beautiful church, God's ideal church. This way is the better way. And it's the way that Holy Spirit will lead and empower us to go in if we choose to. And so the question is this morning, will you? Will you? Will you humbly approach God and allow Holy Spirit to guide you in His way, in His way of love, in loving all your sisters and all your brothers the same, regardless of whatever differences you might have on different things? Will you choose to walk Jesus' path of love and refuse to walk the common path of our day? Because it's not like it's a a little side road anymore. It is the highway. And I won't quote ACDC, but it's essentially that. It's not going to end in a good destination. It is not going to be a good thing for any of us. And that's the way the world's headed, that it's headed toward that, that derision and hatred of one another who hold other beliefs. But that's not what God would call us to. That's not God's heart for our broken and hurting world. Let's not be people who go that common way of division and ridicule. You know, if you're with us today and you're seeking spiritual truth, and maybe you don't yet have a relationship with God, I'll be praying that you would choose to do exactly the same things. But here's the catch. Sometimes when we hear things like this, we think, oh yeah, that's, that's right. I, I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I want to do that. And then we try and do it in our own strength, from our own resources. And if you're anything like me, you probably fail dismally after about half a day, really, if you're honest. And here's the thing. You don't need to try and do this kind of thing alone. You don't have to. And ultimately, you can't. You can try, but we will never make change or see change or be loving, ultimately loving, like we've been talking about this morning, through our own strength alone. We all need Jesus. We need Jesus and we need Holy Spirit's enabling power in our lives to live, as N.T. Wright would put it, fully human, as fully human. We need to God's help to live that kind of life that God wants us to live. So if you are seeking spiritual truth today, don't delay. Reach out to God today. Invite him to come. Invite him to come and reveal himself to you more. Place your faith in him. You'll be saved You'll be welcomed and adopted into his spiritual family as a son or a daughter of God. And then the Holy Spirit will come and will dwell with you and empower you to live as a truly loving person following Jesus in his way of love. If that's you today, I encourage you, don't delay, don't wait. Reach out to God right now, wherever you are at this point. I'm going to pray that all of us, all of us, I think this is a prayer for all of us. 
I'm going to pray that all of us choose to realign ourselves, to reorient ourselves with Jesus' way, with Holy Spirit's help to walk his path of love in a deeply polarized world. This is what the world needs. And all of us, we all have a role to play in God's body, in God's family, to see the church flourish and be that beautiful, attractive, wonderful, loving church that God has always longed for us to be. How about we pray together as we close? Oh God, we are just in awe of you. We thank you, Jesus, for the fact that it's not us who do this, but it's you, Jesus. It's not us who can be more united. It is a gift of your spirit. It is your spirit at work in our lives. It is the love of God that is deeply seated in our hearts that causes us to overflow with love to those who are different to us, those who see things differently. And taking it even further, God, ultimately those who may even see as enemies, God. Only your love can make a way in that regard. And so, God, today we pray, we beg you, God, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you realign us, Jesus? Would you realign us with your priorities, with your ways, God, so that we as, a, as Christians in, the, in globally, Lord, that we would not be divided by different things, but we would be united in Christ and united in our care and concern for one another and also in the grace that we show one another for differences of opinion on different matters. Lord, we know that your desire is to see your church united in you and that that unity in you will cause other people to look at Christians, to look at your church and actually know that we have been sent by you, that we are your representatives. So God, we desperately need you to be that kind of church. We need that at a, at a, at a macro level, um, and we need that in the worldwide sense. And Lord, we need that at the micro level too, God. We need that as Liberty Family Church. Take us deeper, Lord, as people of love. Take us deeper as people who really love one another so that we are united and we are patient and we are kind and we are loving towards one another regardless of what views we hold or even if we hold opposing views on different things. God, we want to honour you. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. So have your way in us, God. Shape us more to be aligned with Jesus. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.